Okay, Quinn, you ready? Yeah. Uh, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by, by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Nathet, Nath, that's a hard word. Naphtali, <laughs> to fulfill what was th- said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zelbum to land of Naphtali. <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. From the time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain and demon-possessed, having seizure, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the, the, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Thank you. All right, Quinn, thank you. All right. I'm glad that you stumbled over those two city names or those two um, tribes because in reality, those two tribes had not been really mentioned in 700 years of text. It's really significant and really profound what Jesus was even speaking about. Let's just pause. Um, Let's just all individually ask the Spirit to fill us, and then we're going to get into this passage. So just take 10 seconds. Just ask for the filling of the Spirit and understanding, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, Jesus, we, uh, we just pray for your spirit and understanding. God, I pray that you'd give us understanding that, that changes the direction of our life, God, that it wouldn't be something that would change us for a day or two. Father, we just pray for just beautiful understanding tonight. Amen. Well, yesterday there was uh, a very large candlelight vigil. Many of you guys have heard of the passing of Derek Flowers Johnson. And, and many people in our community were, were impacted by this guy. And, and, and he's, he was um, loosely associated with, with a bunch of our friends over at Lake Country Alliance. And, and as I spoke to the youth pastor, she, just, she spoke of this guy as just an absolutely wonderful kid. And, and just all the youth from Lake Country showed up. And they said that that he had a heart that was just so unique. He was a counselor and a firefighter. And as I was reading the Castanet article, something really grabbed me. It was something that his father had to say. He said, 
that he was 18, and he said, I'm 45, and I haven't accomplished a quarter of what he's done. Listen to what he says about his son. He says, I need to change and become more like Derek. That kid's my hero. Oh, you know, I think sometimes we get so busy in life that we don't do what actually matters. I think as he's reflecting on his life and probably has a home and a career and a marriage and a family, he looks back and says, but the things that really mattered are the things that Derek did. And sometimes we just get so occupied with the mundane that we're not actually living. The Germans have a phrase for this. We've talked about this before. I love this phrase, the sign on Leben. <laughs> hey, write that in your book. That'd be a good name for a song, Existence Without Life. And I think so often as we look around, people are just living, just walking around, they're existing, but they're not living. Last year when we were on Skid Row, uh, the ambulance shows up, and there was a huge commotion, and all these fire trucks, and there's this just panic in this area, and, and we didn't know what to do exactly, and, and, and I go over there to sort of see what's going on, and I see this guy just walking away, and, and everyone is just kind of pointing at him like this. And the, the ambulance guys come out, and they're like, what's going on? And they come and ask me, and I'm like, I don't know. And there's this guy that's sleeping there, and they're like, we heard somebody overdosed here, and so they just assumed it was this guy sleeping. So they reached down, and they picked him up, and they put him on the stretcher, and they're carrying him away, and he's like, no, <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> I'm fine. Like, what am I doing? And so they, they're putting him in this ambulance, and he's going to have this huge ambulance bill, but nothing happened to him. A guy overdosed just earlier... And one of our kids went up to him, and as he was laying there, prayed for him, and he literally got up and walked away. And we're all, I mean, I was in shock. And um, Maddie, the one that prayed for him, just comes bebopping around the corner, just so happy, fired up, just like, did you see that? Meanwhile, there's this guy that is just walking away, completely healed, and it was a shocking moment, and her face was just glowing. And I'll tell you what, that right there, that's Leben. That's life. You guys know that we used to be a German church way back in the day? Willow Park was started German. Did you know that in the 50s? Let's bring back some of that German. That's life. And some of you have been around for a while, and you know who this is. This is um, oh Mary Appling. Mary Appling. I, I'm going to make it my priority to speak about Mary every six months here, okay? It's very important. About five years ago, she passed away, and this was a lady. She'd walk into the room. And there's just this sense. It's like, oh, life. There's life right there. She'd been with Jesus. And she just glowed. And she was a prayer warrior. And, and she just basically was this signpost for the rest of us that there is life without just simply existing. This is for each one of us in this place. Existence with life. That's what this passage is about. So in our text, Jesus approaches Simon and Andrew, and he says, come follow me, and what happens? They leave everything and follow him. And then he approaches James and John and says, follow me, and what do they do? They leave their boats and their dad. I can just imagine the dad. It's like, what? What does Jesus have that I don't have? I was talking to this with Sean, and he's like, I don't understand this text very well, and here's why. Because Jesus gets baptized, and then he's tempted and then he shows up to these guys, and they just immediately follow? That doesn't sound rational to me. And it's because 
our understanding of this text is a little bit skewed by the fact that Luke, who also just left everything and followed as a tax collector, doesn't include some of the details that they would have understood. I'm sorry, Matthew. Luke does explain some of the details. After he was baptized and tempted, he shows up in the temple. That's where Jesus goes. The Gospel of Luke fills in all the blanks. As he walks into the temple, there's a guy that's frothing at the mouth. He's having seizures, they say, and he's possessed. And so Jesus casts him out. This has never been done before. And all of a sudden, as he looks around, there's thousands of eyes staring at him. They're like, oh my goodness, who is this guy? And then everyone else in that place who had a similar problem shows up. Listen to what Luke 4.41 says. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God. Imagine, this has never happened before in history. And everybody's staring at Jesus. And so they all bring their sick. And so Jesus is in the middle of this, and he's just like healing this, blindness, deafness, like, like the paralytic. Everybody's just healing, healing, healing. And then he withdraws, and he withdraws to the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. And he shows up there, and there's thousands of people behind him. And he sees Simon in his boat, and he's washing his nets. And so then what does Jesus do? He gets into his boat, and he says, Simon, let's go fishing. Simon is looking around, and there are thousands of people staring. And they're all like, how do you get Jesus? And it's amazing what happens next. Simon says, we haven't caught anything. Jesus says, let's just go try. So he puts his nets in the water, and the fish start to fill the nets so much that they start to break. And Simon calls over his buddies. He's like, come over quick. They fill two boats so full that they start to sink, like lowrider boats coming back to shore. And here's what happens. They get back to shore and listen to what Simon says. He says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You see, he's so in awe of his power He knows this is surely God, that he doesn't even want to be, oh, he doesn't even feel like he deserves to be in the same space as him. So he's like, go away. I can't even be in this place. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Come and follow me. You see, this is the greatest offer imaginable. You see, he was barely getting by. He wasn't catching any fish at all. So this offer from the king of kings saying, come follow me, it wasn't this like brave, gutsy news. It's kind of like the greatest offer in the world. And it's not like he stepped out in incredible faith. It was such an offer that anybody probably would have received it, I believe. He chose him. Unbelievable. I love this. And then Jesus says, you know what? Don't worry about your life. Listen to what he says next. The pagans run after all these things. He's talking about food clothing, property. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I love this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the greatest invitation in the history of the world. This is what every one of us in this room gets. This is the offer Come follow me. Come follow me. And it's not like this great sacrifice that we have to make. Okay, 
I'll trust you with my life. This is the king of kings. If you think about it, in our reality is that every stress that we have, every single grade 12 at the second half of the semester is freaked out about the future. It's like, oh, this feeling. Every year our interns, by the time they get to this season, it's like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And then you realize that you start to feel that way every day for the rest of your life when you're an adult. How do I deal with my family? How do I provide for them? What if the economy changes? What if interest rates grow up? Do you know that 99% of our stress comes from providing for ourselves? Do I hear an amen? It's the truth. The leading cause of breakdown in every marriage is financial. Did you know that? It's true. This is our biggest stress. And he says this. He says, follow me and I will provide for you. Sign me up. But we do the exact opposite, don't we? We spend 99% of our times trying to provide for ourselves and worrying about them. We play God and then worry why we feel or wonder why we spend so much of our time anxious. He says, I will take care of the rest. You seek first the kingdom. We do the opposite. We worry about provision and then give him the rest of the time with the kingdom. You see, as kids, we're always asked this question. It's, what are you going to do when you grow up? Right? Especially in high school, we have to have a plan. Oh, the plans are hilarious. My plan was hilarious. I was going to be an accountant. That's hilarious. The only reason I was going to do that is because, like, that was kind of a degree I could get at the Bible college I wanted to play hockey at. I was going to be an accountant because I believed that I had to provide for myself. Right? This is what we're taught. That's such a lie. It's backwards. He says, seek first the kingdom and I will be your provider. Like, who do you think can do it better? You or God? How good was Peter and James and John doing? Were they doing well? They were doing horribly. Jesus comes along and does infinitely better and then says, follow me, I'll take care of you. And they believed him. Unbelievable. Life is not just maintenance. I think sometimes we have so many dormant spiritual gifts because we've lost our dreams and our dreams become survival and not kingdom dreams. We just miss out. Listen to how the disciples understood what Jesus said. I talked about this at Christmas. Matthew six thirty four. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Let tomorrow worry about itself. How in the world would that happen? Jesus is using a literary device here called prosopopoeia. Oh, you need to write that down. Such a cool concept. It's when you personify an inanimate object. He's basically saying that tomorrow is a person. He said, follow me. Remember? He said, follow me. He's saying that the person that tomorrow is, is me. I am tomorrow. So when you follow me, I become your tomorrow. Tomorrow's not unknown and scary. Tomorrow is Jesus. It's not out of control. It's Jesus. You see, he's the good shepherd. And the shepherd's job is to protect and guide and to provide for it sheep, right? That's what a shepherd does. And so when he says, let tomorrow worry about itself, he's saying, follow me and I will worry about it for you. 
And think about who he is. Right now, as we speak, millions of angels are shouting his praise. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a moment like at Rush where the music stops and just everybody sings. Even just a thousand people is the most awe-inspiring thing. It's like spine-tingling. Everybody worshiping in unison. It's like, oh, imagine a million angels shouting. That's our king. He says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Everything that we think is so big and, and important here on earth, he's saying, that's just my footstool. He says, seek first my kingdom and I got you. This is why he says a great light has come even to, now remember what Quinn tried to say, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. What in the world does that mean? Quinn, you did a good job. That's no beak. You see, Israel used to have 12 tribes, 12 different people groups. And these are two of them. And when Assyria attacked the northern kingdom, they actually expelled these groups. They kicked them out and deported them. So these two people groups lost all their land, all their livestock, every ability to get by in life, and they had nothing and became slaves. So Jesus is going back 700 years into the past and saying even those people who have no hope, even them who are the poor of the poor, he is saying a great light has come because guess what? Even for them, seek first my kingdom and I will be your tomorrow. Seek first my kingdom and I will provide. Oh, you know, it seems really easy when these like preachers get up and preach, don't they? I remember one time Francis Chan was talking about this and I thought to myself, but you have book deals. I mean, how hard is it really going to be? I mean, you can just easily just fall back on your royalties. It's easy to say when you've got money. But to these people in Zebulun and Naphtali, Jesus is saying a great light has come. I got you. So the response of Simon and Andrew and James and John was, are you kidding me? You are inviting me to follow you. You are saying you'll provide for me for the rest of my life. Unbelievable. You see, we get to dream with God. Isn't that the greatest thing in the world? We don't have to just maintain life, get by, exist without life. There was a man named Vic Muniz, and he visited a dump called Gramacho. And this is the biggest dump in the entire world. This dump is in Rio de Janeiro. And as he was at this dump, he met this 18-year-old girl named Sulem. And this girl had two children, and she'd been living in the dump since she was seven. Oh, imagine being a child in the dump, getting pregnant in the dump, and then giving birth in that dump. And he was so heartbroken that he started taking their pictures And then out of the scene of the dump, he made this enormous picture. It's absolutely huge. It's the size of a tennis court. And he started to take pictures of it. And he wanted to sell these pictures to get them out of the dump. It just absolutely took off. It's become the second most popular art exhibit in Brazil, just behind the Picasso. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Here's another one of his, his... Oh... 
beautiful. And he's got one more. So he'll build these out of the dump, and then they'll take helicopters and take pictures of them. And it's raised so much money that he's freed all these people living in the dump. See, if Vic just simply went home after visiting Sulem, he went home and poured himself a glass of wine and watched TV and just said, you know what, that was a really great experience. I'm going to write in my journal about this. She would still be in the dump today. Instead, he did something totally different. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to love in just word and tongue, but I'm actually going to love in action. I'm going to do something. This is seeking first the kingdom. He could have made a lot more money into his own pocket, but instead, he's become a hero. This is why we're alive. We aren't alive just to get by. You aren't alive to get a career. Men are told that they have to be alive to provide for a family. What a lie. That's God's job. It's our job to have a passion and more than a career to actually give our families existence. Something to live for. Something far greater than just maintaining what we already have. This is what Paul says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's prepared these already for us. There's a man named Sam Childers, and many of you know him as the machine gun preacher. I love this guy. And he was a biker and got in a lot of trouble and went to prison. And when he got out of prison, his wife got saved, and he, he quickly came to know Jesus, and he went to Africa, and, and what he saw broke his heart. And when he went back to the U.S., he had a big decision. His construction company was doing well. He could either just buy more motorbikes, just have a really easy existence. But instead, he moved back to Africa, and he started rescuing child soldiers. Oh, I love this. I want to show you a video clip, and there, there is some um, shooting in it. So if that kind of thing is squirrely to you, then just maybe don't look at that part. But I think it's a really important thing. This guy has been doing wonderful things. Um, Okay, go ahead and roll it, Curtis. Check this out. Son, please wait. No, I ain't waiting around no more for this to happen. See what waiting gets you? Thing. This kid's behind the truck! 
Don't comment on that link. <laughs> Instead of owning more bikes or a nicer house, hundreds and hundreds of kids are safe because of that guy. And, and throughout the country, the children know that he's out there looking for them. Unbelievable. His inaction would have cost so many kids their futures. So many kids. See, some of us in this place are called to be prayers, and, and we're called to be like Mary. And if we do pray, then our prayers will be answered, and the miraculous will happen. But if we don't pray, then those same prayers will not be answered. That guy in Skid Row likely would have died. Mary prayed for this church so often. Many of us wouldn't even be in this place if it wasn't for her prayers. Our inactivity has a great cost, and it also just takes away our very reason for living. You see, we were created to do good works that he prepared for us in advance to do. And we are most alive when we are using our gifts. Amen? We are most alive when we're filled with the Spirit and on mission. This is who He called us to be. Some of you are called to be pastors, to be children's workers, to be care group leaders. And if you do, you will lead people to Jesus. I think we all get that, right? If I step in, we all know it, we'll lead people to Jesus. So if we don't, then those same kids will not know Jesus. Some of you are called to be nurses. And to do that for the glory of God and with the love of Christ, or doctors, or teachers. I've been so inspired just by, by Sherry Shupsky's Instagram. Have you guys been watching that? Just the great love she's been pouring out on this guy, and just, just being with him, and just being present with him, and, and just being so prayerful about it. Some of you are called to, to use your art or your music God has made all of us unique with individual spiritual gifts, and when we step into it, then we experience life, like abundant, beautiful life. When we just put aside the fact that we don't have to provide for our futures, he says, seek the kingdom and all that will be added to you. 
Isn't that just a weight off your shoulders? Just, oh, I get to dream again. I get to actually be used by the king of kings. I think about Paul, and Paul was a tent maker, right? Work is good. I bet you that Paul had the best tents in the world because he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. To just spend time with the Lord and build your tents, but then to recognize that I am to seek first the kingdom wherever God puts me today or tomorrow. And some of you might be saying, but I'm, I'm kind of retired or I'm nearly retiring or I'm getting older. You know what? I really think that, that our most fruitful years can be our later years where there's just less responsibility in the world. I think about Mary Appling. She didn't actually start in her ministry until she was in her 60s. She would say that her first 60 years, she didn't even really pray. It was after that. It's never too late to start a legacy. And some of you might be saying, you know what? I'm still in high school. I'm still in junior high. How am I supposed to seek first the kingdom? I think about King David. King David was called by God to be a king, but he didn't know it. He was the one that God chose to free Israel, to cut the head off Goliath, but he didn't know it. All he knew was this. He was a shepherd out in the desert looking after his father's sheep, and he did it as hard as he could. When a bear attacked, he risked his own life to save the sheep and killed it. And then a lion attacks. He risked his own life to save the sheep by killing it. So when this guy Goliath shows up, do you think now he has some confidence? Do you think that maybe a man is a little bit weaker than a lion or a bear? So when he's standing in front of this man, he's lived with integrity and working his whole heart out his whole life so he knew he could step in. You see what happens is that our private victories become our public victories. He was getting no praise out in the desert when he was protecting the sheep. No one noticed. Nobody said, good job. No one even saw. He was all by himself. Jesus says, if I can trust you with little, I can trust you with much. So even as a young man, as a young woman, we can say, I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to seek first the kingdom in school. I'm going to seek first the kingdom with my family and with my friends. And these things seem little, until he calls us to do something different and we've been proven in the privacy of our own hearts to be faithful. And suddenly we're going to be able to have public victories. Do you guys see what I'm saying? It's time for us to live for way more. Bob Goff gives some wonderful advice. He says this. He says, pick a fight. It's time to pick a fight. Like what makes you the most angry in the world? The injustice that when you see it on TV, you're just like, oh, You see, where your passion and anger, your righteous anger, and your spiritual gifts intersect, this is what God has for you. This is what he has for you. And for some of you, you have a great passion, but you feel like you have no spiritual gifting at all. Oh, I hear you. I wanted to be a pastor so bad, but I could never even talk into a karaoke mic in the privacy of my own basement all by myself. I couldn't. But I feel like God called me to this church 20 years ago, and instantly that that fear was gone. It was gone instantly. God is going to call you something, and all of a sudden, as you step into it, he's going to gift you accordingly, and it's going to be a wonderful thing to watch. And we're going to be behind you just cheering you on and saying, come on, 
Let's go. Life is not just surviving. Amen? It's not just maintenance. Let's get on with it. Let's go for it. We're going to pray and we're going to take communion. And I really encourage you in this place tonight to just reevaluate that question, what do I want to be when I grow up? Because if you want to provide for yourself or just get by, you're going to be miserable. If what you want to be when you grow up is somebody who seeks the kingdom and brings heaven to earth, oh, you're going to be alive. You're going to be alive. Just say, God, what do you have for me? Let's dream together. Let's do this together. Come on. And he is saying, follow me. Follow me. I'm the good shepherd. He says, let tomorrow worry about itself. That's me. I'll worry about it for you. Let me. I'm the good shepherd. Let's pray.